You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We're on to game week number seven of this 2023 Penn State football season, and it is certainly the most notable one thus far in terms of the big picture overall. The Nittany Lions ranked number seven right now in the AP Top 25 poll, head to take on number three Ohio State noon kickoff in Columbus. Massive conference test, looking to snap a six-game losing streak in this particular series. We'll learn a lot more about Ohio State on this episode. We figured, why wait? It's Ohio State week. We're bringing on Patrick Murphy from uh, Bucknuts, which is the 24-7 Sports Ohio State site. He will give us the latest on the 6-0 Buckeyes. They're dealing with some injury issues right now. What has worked for them thus far in the season? What are the main concerns for Ohio State at 6-0? We'll learn a lot about that in just a bit. But first, let's start with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon, who have sat alongside in the Beaver Stadium press box just a couple days ago, watching Penn State absolutely dismantle UMass in a 63-0 victory. Fellas, look, they're 6-0. and uh, They've covered the spread each and every game. They're winning by an average score of 44-8 to through these six games, and we really haven't seen much of the primary guys in the fourth quarter to this point. Mark, in some ways, it was more of the same. I'm curious, though, we'll begin, as we always do early in the week, with your feedback from the most recent game. What stood out to you from those 60 minutes of football on Saturday afternoon into the early evening? Well, the most important thing, obviously, was they got out of it. it. It seemed like very healthy, you know, outside of not having JB Nelson. So we'll see what's what's up with him as they move forward. But you know, to me, that was what was the first and foremost thing. Uh, second, didn't make a ton of mistakes. You know, I know Trey Wallace had a fumble there, the first offensive uh, turnover of the year. But in that sort of game, and you know, there was there was a, a goofy special teams play where they lost the ball. Uh, but overall, I thought they took care of the ball on a wet day. And then, you know, one of the things that I think was kind of, um, I don't know that people talked enough about through the first five games, their special teams were so uneven. They were so up and down and, and for the special teams to have that kind of day in that kind of game, uh, obviously Daquan Hardy with two re- uh, punt returns for for touchdown, setting a Penn State season record. But I thought Riley Thompson had a really nice punt in bad conditions. Uh, Gabe Nwosu, uh obviously I thought did a good job until the very end. Uh, the the extra point stuff in bad weather w- was really good. They had a bit of a fluke play. I mean, Dom DeLuca deflects a punt, and, and it goes off of one of your downmen. I don't know what you can do about that. But I think going into the, the the stretch run of the season, getting those special teams solidified, I thought they did a nice job of that. Whatever they did in the bye week, I thought that was really important because it's going to be critical moving ahead when these games are, when these games are closer that those uh, units play well for you. So 
you know, offensively, I think there are still question marks about the running game. I know no people uh, took exception with me for giving the offense a B out of that game. I stand by that. I, I think that offense could have been even better. We didn't see the explosive plays we thought we might see uh, defensively. You know, what can you say? I mean, it's going to be fun to see what this unit's able to do against a, a big-time offense out at Ohio State. But overall, I just thought a really good performance and really everything you could expect in those weather conditions against that caliber of opponent coming off of a bye week and with a huge game looming. There were some interesting personnel things that popped up coming out of the bye week. Obviously, we saw a lot of freshmen out there uh, with the way the score went. We'll talk about some of those things in a moment, but just quickly going through a six-game sample size here for Penn State among Big Ten peers right now uh, on October 16th. They are number two in uh, total offense right now behind Ohio State. They are number one in total defense uh, ahead of Michigan. Uh, when it comes to scoring offense, they're number one. When it comes to scoring defense, they're number two. They are the number one rushing offense in yards per game. They average 203 yards on the ground per contest. They are the number one rushing defense in yards per game. They give up about 72 yards per game. They are the number one passing defense. They give up about 121 yards through the air per game. And then on passing offense, they're number seven. So uh, something that doesn't factor into the top two in those rankings. But, I mean, you look across the board, and it's really impressive what they've done, Daniel. And then you look at the rankings, and – they had a hard time moving up. They finally get up to number six. Now they're back down to number seven. There's things happening around them in college football. They'll be part of their own top 10 showdown this week, and I think they'll have a chance to show everybody what kind of a ranking they might deserve. But they land at number seven in the latest AP poll. You're our, our point man when these rankings come out on Sunday. Can you kind of survey the hierarchy of college football mid-October and where Penn State is among that? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that, that stands out to me in, in looking at these rankings is that the voters in the AP poll are rewarding teams that win big games. You know, when Texas beat Alabama, Texas leapt up uh, into that top five neighborhood. When Oklahoma beat Texas last week, Oklahoma leapfrogged Penn State uh, in a couple polls. Uh, and then Washington beating Oregon. I mean, Oregon was another top 10 team. Uh, so you kind of knew uh, that based on you, you, you bounce the resume of Penn State beat UMass, uh, Washington beat Oregon. Um, you know, it wasn't really a surprise, but, you know, I, and I think that, you know, for Penn State, you know, it sets them up uh, this week to, you know, if they want to burnish that national profile a little bit um, and move up. But, you know, you look at the the top five right now and, you know, it's it's been pretty steady this whole time. Um, you know, Georgia, number one, Michigan, number two. Um, I thought the one thing that was interesting is that Michigan picked up 16 first place votes. Um, you know, Georgia only had 43. I haven't watched Georgia this year. You know, I just see the scores and, you know, it does seem like that this might not be the same Bulldogs team that we've seen these, these past couple of years. Um, and then you go to Ohio State at number three, Florida State, which is another one of those teams that, you know, got a big bounce after winning a big game earlier this year against LSU. Uh, and then Washington rounding out the top five, Oklahoma in front of Penn State, and then Texas, Oregon, North Carolina, rounding out that top 10. You know, North Carolina was another team that, you know, beat Miami uh, pretty, you know, in nice fashion and, and got a nice, nice bounce up. So, you know, I think the one thing that you look at uh, with, with these rankings uh, in terms of, you know, looking way ahead is you got five Big Ten teams, that five teams that are going to be in the Big Ten in 2024 uh, in there, which is, uh, you know, pretty crazy to think about. 
Um, but then overall, I mean, you know, it, this is really, uh, it's really going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, Michigan is maybe the most dominant team in the country right now. You know, it, it's that whole thing with kind of like what people have talked about, like, oh, like, you know, we want to see, maybe we want to see Penn State get tested a little bit, uh, you know, before you get into some of these big games. And then you look at a team like Michigan that is just steamrolling everyone. And it's like, yeah, I would prefer to have that <laughs> instead of, you know, watching a team, you know, have to go down to the wire against an inferior opponent. So it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. You know, I don't, you know, I, I like looking at the polls every week because all of it is data to see you know, where Penn State stacks up nationally, what the perception is. Um, you know, I looked at the poll tracker and there's a decent number of people that have Penn State as high as number three. Um, a lot of people have them in the six, seven range, and I think their low is eight this time. So they're firmly in the top 10. I think that their resume this year has, you know, been, you know, very valid uh, in terms of what they've been able to do against these teams. And I think the voters, you know, for the most part, have respected that. And Michigan, uh, their schedule has been much discussed. They will have bigger tests, not necessarily this week with Michigan State. That that rivalry game has some of the, the juice out of it. I should say next week they're in their bye week right now. Um, but but you know with top twenty five wins, Ohio State uh, has obviously gone on the road, beat Notre Dame. We saw USC get smoked in South Bend last week, um, and, and yet Ohio State has one first place vote in the AP poll. Michigan has 16 first place votes in the AP poll. You don't look at this thing in a vacuum in 2023. People know who won the last couple of Big Ten championship games, and all these teams will play each other. We got a round robin of sorts to come in October and November between Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State, potentially for the right to play Iowa in Indianapolis <laughs> the first week of December, because that's how the conference works here still in 2023. But let's move aside uh, for, from I'm laughing the, at that conversation I, I, because, uh, again, Penn State, Ohio State, they'll show exactly where they belong, I think, on the field in Columbus this Saturday, and the rankings next Sunday will sort things out accordingly. But, guys, as we look forward to, the, to this matchup, uh, I think it's important to look back a little bit at UMass. It's one of those games you can skip right past because of the opponent, because of the final score, because of what lies ahead. But let's look back. Daniel and I spent about an hour on the postgame podcast, and uh, Mark, naturally, Daquan Hardy was the talk of the town on Saturday night. What he was able to do, two punt returns, for touchdowns no one's done that in a single game for penn state no one's returned more punts in a single season for penn state and he does it in his first time returning punts for the nittany lions i mean you've talked about how this guy has provided energy for the defense he provided energy for beaver stadium on saturday daniel's providing energy for us even though he's going into a coughing fit i'm, I'm sorry daniel he's a, we're all friends so we could laugh at each other when one of us isn't feeling well we're, we've all we've all gone through this but you know in all seriousness i think there are two ways of looking at daquan hardy as a punt returner you know, number one it was a stroke of genius to unleash him a week before ohio state Right. I mean, you, you look at it from from that perspective and it really gives the Buckeyes and their special team something to think about. Number two, why the hell did it take them 39 games or whatever it was to put this guy as a punt returner? I mean, I know it was UMass, but wow, did he look natural back there? You know, I get that a couple years ago you had Jahan Dodson, but there had to be somewhere along the line. I mean, I can't believe that he never returned a punt before Saturday I just I scratch my head over that you know and I know that they, they're at practice every day they see it they know what's going on I completely get it but all I know is that they've been playing football for a long time at Penn State 
and and the record for punt returns for touchdowns in a season is two. Yeah, nobody's ever done two in one game, and I just don't. I I I don't understand it. I I just I, I don't get that end of it. But you know, ha- having said that, to have him in in that role or as part of that role, uh, you know, moving forward, I think is just a, a really big thing. And again, I, I just. I, I can't stress how special teams are going to be big for this team. And again, they were all over the place early in the season. And to add that sort of jolt to your special teams, I just think it is really big. And again, I get it. I get that it was UMass and, you know, maybe they don't have the level of talent, but, you know, we, we heard that they have, you know, 40 transfers who have come in from other programs, a lot of them from power five schools, so these weren't like a bunch of absolute schlubs out there. And for him to do that, I just thought, I think that was good for, for, for the, uh, for the special teams and going back to, to how you started what you were saying, Tyler, I just think getting him back is, he just has a level of energy that he brings to the entire team, you know? And I think getting him back after he missed what the first couple games yep. and the ball just seems to find him on defense he has a knack for making plays. He's not the biggest guy, but he's – I have to imagine pound for pound, he's one of the toughest guys on the team. He's not afraid to get into traffic. He's not afraid to hit people. And obviously, when he gets the ball in his hands, he could be electric. So, yeah, I just – I think there are a couple ways of looking at that. You know, stroke a genius on one side. What the heck took so long on the other? And, and it's funny because Terry Smith and James Franklin, whenever they talked about Daquan since he got to campus, it's always we went to this game. He did it with that with the ball in his hands. He did it in so many different ways. And and so just to remind people what he did as a senior at Penn Hills, where he was playing with Dante Cephas, Tank Smith, you know, current guys on this roster. Um, he had 10 touchdowns as a senior of 60 plus yards for Penn Hills. He scored 22 total touchdowns in five different ways as a receiver, as a rusher. He had a pick six, he had kickoff return. Punt return. He had 10 interceptions, by the way, to go with 900 receiving yards as a senior. And as a reminder, until about 48 hours before signing day that February, this guy was probably Mac bound. And all of a sudden, he is as a year five guy, third year starter on defense. Terry Smith will tell everyone who will listen that he's going to be an NFL defensive back. And all of a sudden, he may be this brand new weapon that Penn State breaks out halfway home and heading to Columbus. And um, it, it feels like probably the most intriguing aspect of this return game, aside from when Micah Parsons was listed on number one on the depth chart in 2020, the spring, and we never got to see that materialize. The most interesting thing in the return game since maybe Saquon Barkley started fielding kickoffs. And let's remember, he took one back against, against Ohio State on the road that season and really sparked them early. So, uh, it, it's it's really a, a new storyline that I don't think a lot of us saw coming. And uh, Daniel, beyond that, I think we were all curious to see what things would look like for this offensive front. We spent quite a bit of time on the pregame podcast wondering if Caden Wallace would end up making that move to left guard, which he's gotten some work in on the practice field. Instead, it was indeed Nick Dawkins taking the next step here. Year four player from the same class as Olu Fashionu has worked as the offensive, uh, has, has worked as the backup center, has gotten some time at guard. He essentially stepped up and filled that rotational guard role 
along with Venga Ioane, who rarely left the field. I don't think any offensive lineman played more on Saturday. And then Salim Wormley at right guard. Uh, this will be interesting to see because uh, clearly they trust Nick Dawkins or they want to at least see what it looks like in an expanded role. Twice now this season, he's played a bunch of reps. Curious to see if this maintains in Columbus, um, if J.B. Nelson is unavailable. But I thought this was a significant answer in what Penn State plans to do, at least in the interim here, as they address some depth issues on the offensive interior. Yeah, one one last note on Daquan Hardy. It, it just came across while Mark was talking, but he is the Big Ten Co-Special Teams Player of the Week. They got uh, the Co in there. Iowa, yeah. sneaky. Tory Taylor. I mean, Tory Taylor can probably be Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week every week, and no one would really bat an eye about that. That's the Iowa oh punter. Oh, my God. Only an um, Iowa punter could steal the thunder away from a guy who returns two punts. He's the second player in the Big Ten since 2000 to return two punts in a game, and an Iowa punter has to come and grab a piece of that trophy, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, I think there's just going to be a specter of Iowa uh, over this whole back half of the season uh, with, you know, for pretty much any Big Ten East team where they're just going to be looming out there, um, you know, no matter what. But yeah, I think, you know, having Nick Dawkins, you know, play the, that many reps. And I mean, you know, I thought that he looked good. Um, I thought it was really good to get him out there with the first team offense or that, you know, normal first team group um, early in the game. Uh, you know, we saw him in there at center in that type of scenario against Delaware. So seeing him uh, in there in that type of situation against a different position at guard, um, you know, I think that that just shows that, you know, he has some versatility on the interior um, and that they're really committed to that rotation. Um, You know, we hear it all the time with these defensive ends where they're like, yeah, like we rotate all the time. And then that means when we're in the fourth quarter, you know, we're fresh because these other, you know, offensive linemen, they don't rotate. Um, and I asked Vanga Ioane kind of like, does that apply to you guys on offense uh, as well? You know, when it comes to, you know, taking some series off, you know, getting to watch from the sideline, getting different guys work. And, you know, Vanga agreed that, you know, when the, the game is going into the stretch stretch run that they do feel fresher. Um, you know, I think overall, in terms of the, the big season perspective, these guys are more fresh because they've gotten to take off pretty much every fourth quarter. Um, and then, but then in kind of the micro in game, um, you know, they're feeling more fresh down the stretch because, you know, they're able to, you know, sit on the sideline for a series or two um, you know, and the level doesn't necessarily drop. So, you know, and I think just for Nick Dawkins, you know, on the, you know, the personal player level story, you know, it's really cool for him. You know, I think it's really, he's battled some injuries. Um, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, you, you needed, you wanted to see if he could be a factor, um, you know, for this team and, you know, for him to earn a spot on the two deep, uh, you know, as that, you know, number two center. And now that, you know, they're calling on him to do more uh, with JB Nelson on the sideline. Uh, you know, I think that that's a, a really big positive for Penn state um, because it, you know, boosts the depth. Um, I know that we kind of talked about how we could, you know, forecast how Penn state really had like a, a top eight or nine or 10 before the season started you know, and then you subtract Landon Tangwall from that. Uh, and right now, J.V. Nelson is subtracted from that. You know, to be able to backfill Nick Dawkins in there and have him playing solid, um, I think that's really good for Penn State. So I think they're committed to rotating, um, you know, especially at, the, at those guard spots. We haven't really seen, you know, obviously we're not going to see a rotation at left tackle. Um, and then we haven't seen a rotation at right tackle in a while. 
um, you know, I think that bodes, you know, really, really well, um, you know, for the the health and endurance of this group. And you know, I think it's just cool to, to see Nick Dawkins be able to put himself um, in this position to contribute. It was Caden Wallace all the way at right tackle. Again, we did see Chimdi Ono uh, involved late, which was interesting. His second game as a true freshman here um, at right tackle. But um, along the way, Olu Fashionu you know, was involved in the first half and got to watch a lot of football again, which was something we saw from him earlier in non-conference action. He was a very busy man at left tackle through the first three Big Ten games, but watched a lot of matchups, uh, watched a lot of reps uh, over the first half of this season. Goes to Ohio State, about as fresh as you could possibly ask for a preseason All-American left tackle. And let's remember last year against Ohio State, when that defensive end goes off and and and, and, and creates havoc and, and ruins the day in, in Beaver Stadium, Olu Fashionu is on the sideline dealing with an injury, riding a stationary bike. Caden uh, Wallace is watching that game. He was injured the week before against Minnesota. We didn't see either of those tackles the rest of the regular season. Caden Wallace surfaced as a backup in the Rose Bowl. Olu Fashnu never came back on the field. And Mark, they're both on the field. Caden Wallace is playing at a different level thus far. This will clearly be the biggest test of his senior season to date. But Olu Fashnu is in a really good position physically, you'd imagine, right now. And again, that's just a reminder of where they're at versus last year when they had half of those guys for that entire Ohio State game. Yeah, I think it all goes back. You touched on this, but what we talked about in the preseason, or, or uh, Daniel touched, touched on it, this is why you have depth. This is why depth is important. I mean, you, I don't want to say that you can afford to lose guys, but if you do lose key players, you're able to have ha have people who, who you can plug in. And Listen, that has not been the case here. You know, with all due respect to some of the people who have had to come in and play in, you know, the last, what, eight or nine years, you know, there have been instances where guys weren't ready to um, get going at that level. And I think we started to see it toward the end of last year, right? I mean, when you had a Drew Shelton come in and, and really start to play well, uh, toward the end of the season. But, yeah, I'm really fascinated by Penn State being able to have these two starting tackles who are, you know, obviously Olu is playing at, at, at a kind of a different level, I think, than just about everybody. But Caden Wallace, to me, I, I said it last week, I think he's been one of the unsung heroes of this team. I don't think he has the overall level of talent of uh, at, that Olu has. But very few players in the nation do. That's not a knock on Caden Wallace. This is going to be a big game for Caden because they're going to come after him, and and they know that there. This is a situation where if if you want to disrupt this Penn State offense, stopping the running game is 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 one key, and that's what a lot of people have tried to do. But rattling Drew Aller, which nobody has been able to do yet, is going to be another key to that, and that's one of the things that obviously. Uh, you know, getting to the quarterback last year that that Ohio State was one of the few teams that was able to do that against Penn State. Yeah. And, and by the way, Penn State, number one in the Big Ten and sacks against and sacks uh, produced. So that, that's a nice combination uh, for for an unbeaten team there. Daniel, let's talk about the passing game a, a little bit here, because when you go through and review the statistics uh, from the UMass matchup, you may be surprised in a 63 nothing game that only five Nittany Lions caught a pass along the way. Almost 250 rushing yards, four touchdowns on the ground for Penn State uh, on Saturday. Uh, but it was Lambert Smith, as usual, leading this team in targets. The next two guys up were Theo Johnson 
and Trey Wallace, who, who we had waited to see take on this prominent role dating back to September 9th, the last time he really played extensively and was a full go. He's out there, three catches, 44 yards, along of 21. He had a fumble on his first reception. He had a drop on, a, on another early opportunity, but seemed to find his groove as the game went on. And then, obviously, Theo Johnson responded well to his opportunities. Four catches, 66 yards, two touchdowns, the kind of game that we all anticipated we see from Theo going into this 2023 year. And meanwhile... Marcus Higgins really tightens things up uh, at the wide receiver position. You saw a lot of Tyler Warren, as we would expect. Um, he actually played more than Theo in this game. He caught his fifth touchdown of the season, which leads the team at this point. But at receiver, you had Harrison Wallace leading the group with 50 snaps. Keandre Lambert-Smith at 44 snaps. Liam Clifford, who, as we've said, he's kind of a staple. Feels like kind of a half starter there because of the way they use tight ends. In the slot, 20 snaps. No one else had more than 10 snaps at receiver, folks. Omari Evans, Dante Cephas, Malik McLean, Malik Mega, Caden Saunders, they all played. They were all at 10 snaps or fewer. Daniel, I think we saw a very clear message in a game where you could have done a lot of things in the second half with this game out of hand about what we may see in Ohio State from a personnel standpoint. Yeah, I, I think that that snap counts uh, breakdown really makes it stark. Um, of of who Penn State is going to ride um, in some of these in these big games coming up um, with Harrison Wallace and Keandre Lambert Smith uh, separating themselves from the pack, and then Liam Clifford kind of you know serving as that top slot guy if Penn State goes um, you know into a, a three receiver set. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I think the biggest development for the passing game, um, and I wrote about it a little bit in the story that went up Monday morning, was seeing Theo Johnson you know look you know, like the Theo Johnson that you know, we saw down the stretch last year. Um, you know, he averaged 16.4 yards per catch last year. Um, he came into Saturday's game averaging 8.4 yards per catch uh, and then did 16 and a half yards per catch uh, against UMass. Um, you know, I think that that was the Theo Johnson that we got you know, really accustomed to seeing you know, last season. And I think that that version of Theo Johnson lessens the you know, the need to really, you know, lean on those wide receivers a little bit. Um, you know, I think that that was something that was missing from the offense, you know, through those first couple of weeks of the season where, um, you know, Tyler Warren, I think has really established himself, you know, and I think that he deserves to be on the field, you know, as a second tight end uh, for, you know, as, as much as he has been, but, um, you know, he's not necessarily that kind of big play uh, tight end. You know, we've seen him, as someone that Drew Aller can go to on third downs, uh, you know, he's a, you know, a ridiculous red zone weapon. Um, but outside of, uh, I forget which game it was last year, either Michigan state or Minnesota, he had the one long touchdown catch down the seam, but that's mostly been Theo Johnson as kind of that, you know, big play mismatch threat. Um, and I think that if Theo Johnson is doing that and playing like that, um, you know, that really raises the level of the passing game uh, and gives, you know, Drew Aller, someone else that he can give the ball to in space, he can throw the ball downfield to. Um, and I think that that kind of can, I don't want to say cover up some of these these wide receivers, but it doesn't make it as urgent to get a, a third and a fourth guy to step up. And that's something that James Franklin has talked about in the past where, you know, they, they don't look at it as just wide receivers and just tight ends that they take a pretty holistic look um, at their pass catchers. And um, you know, if the third best pass catcher on the team is a tight end, then he's going to play a lot. Um, but, you know, I thought that seeing Trey Wallace get 
you know, that much run in a first game back after, you know, being kind of up and down from a health perspective over the past couple of weeks. I thought that that, bo- that boded really well. Um, I thought that he looked good when he was out there, you know, outside of that fumble, which I think was just a really nice play by the UMass defender just to be able to get the ball, um, you know, get a hand on the ball and just really rip it out. Um, and then that drop was, was a little ugly, but I thought that he looked good. He looked comfortable. Um, I think he had the ball in his hands for a little bit after one of his catches. Um, and so he's someone that we're going to see a lot more of. I mean, I just think that he was so good in that West Virginia game you know, where he didn't have the, you know, the big play like Keandre Lambert Smith did, but he was just moving the chains. He was really steady. He was open. He was reliable. Um, you know, I think that that's the type of wide receiver that you're going to need to keep some drives alive against some big teams, against some good teams coming up. So, yeah, I liked what we saw from Trey Wallace. Uh, I think that, you know, we're only going to see more of him coming up. And I think that he might be able to, to change the complexion of this passing game a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about the the guys a little further down on the depth chart, though, like Cephas, uh, McLean, um, you know, those are just kind of tap guys now. Um, I think you saw Keandre Lambert Smith or Trey Wallace, you know, go downfield um, and, you know, after an incompletion, they come off, you know, that's when those other guys come on. Um, you know, there really was no rotation uh, on Saturday, which, you know, I, I think that on the one hand, it's, you know, a negative for Penn State because you really thought that they had the potential to go five or six deep this year. Um, you know, I think that that's something that James Franklin has really wanted for these past two years and they haven't quite gotten there. But on the other hand, I think that, you know, the fact that they know who they can ride right now, they know that who they can trust and what they can go with. Um, you know, I think that that sets themselves up well uh, from a confidence standpoint, um, you know, going into Ohio State and beyond. Yeah, only three Penn State players on Saturday uh, handled more snaps than Harrison Wallace in his return to game action. Venga Ioane, Caden Wallace, and Drew Aller. So welcome back, uh, Harrison Wallace. It seems like he is certainly ready to roll uh, for this offense. What we can make of the rest receiver group, as Daniel just laid out there, uh, remains to be seen beyond him and Keandre Lambert-Smith to this stage. And, uh, I mean, it, it was a really impressive ability to, to spread. Uh, by the way, tacking on to that conversation, Andrew Rapley played almost 20 snaps on Saturday with Khalil Dinkins missing from action. He was ruled out in the pregame availability report. He's been their number three tight end for a while. He's been featured in that goal line, short yardage rushing package, the tush push package, as we've called it. Um, but he was not available. We'll keep an eye out for him on practice this week. And in his absence, Rappelier, top 24-7 prospect in the last recruiting cycle, stepped up uh, and played his most significant role thus far, game number two for him on the freshman season. Mark, you texted me when, when I was working my way through the, the snap count details here, and, and you were curious about what that defensive tackle group might have looked like. And, and you were right because you've got to work your way pretty far down the list with what Manny Diaz and John, which I almost said John Scott, Dion Barnes uh, did here with, with, with their plan at defensive line was really interesting. Uh, Zane Durant and Akeem Beeman, both under 15 snaps on the day. The guys who had more snaps than them at defensive tackle included Caleb Artis, uh, Devon Ellis, who had a phenomenal performance. Uh, you had uh, uh, mean uh, Chop Kozai Izzard leading the way with 30 snaps. Uh, but I thought it was really impressive. And when you kind of combine the, the last few weeks uh, between Durant and Beeman, they are both under 60 snaps. And you can go all the way back through the Northwestern game, which is now three different Saturdays with 60 or fewer snaps on your two starting defensive tackles. You want to talk about being fresh and in a good situation to attack in Columbus. I, I really like this approach. 
Yeah, don't be telling people what losers we are. Like we're we're texting each other about snap counts on a Sunday when we should be watching the NFL. I won't mention that you were texting us about the Eagles. Okay, yeah, I was. Uh, Oops, and, I did. I may I may be texting about the Phillies uh, when they're playing too. But no, in all seriousness, you made this point earlier in the season when you dial back to last year and you look at the number of snaps that PJ Mustafer was forced to play. And you just got the sense that they weren't comfortable with their rotation. And now, which is like a completely different thing, that none of these guys had had to have had to play a tremendous amount. And I think it's particularly important with uh, Zane Durant and Hakeem Beeman, because even though both of those guys are like 290 pounders now, they're still not gigantic. So I think to be able to have them fresh for your biggest games and that's why it's kind of it's kind of funny to me how Franklin's like, you know, one and oh, we're not even gonna talk about Ohio State until Tuesday. You know, they've been gearing up for this for the whole first six weeks at plus the bye week in terms of what they've been doing with limiting guys. And they've been fortunate that they've been able to do it. I think it's actually been a good thing. I'm not being critical, but it's just kind of funny to me where they're always talking about this one-game-at-a-time approach where clearly there are different areas where their overall strategy was to limit the reps of certain players until you get in to these monster games. And that's what's going to be interesting to watch when they play Ohio State is – okay, you're looking at 14 snaps for Zane Durant and 13 for Hakeem Beeman against UMass. How much does that go up? You know, what is the balancing act going to be? Are they going to play 30, 35, or are they going to play 60? I mean, that's where, and and I think it's going to be toward that lower end because you want to keep these guys fresh, not during the course of the season, but during the course of a particular game that, if you're fortunate to have the lead against Ohio State, as they've had in the fourth quarter, you know that you're not going to blow it, that you're going to be able to have your best players in there. And that's something that we've seen from Manny Diaz from the time he kind of set foot on campus. It started with the Purdue game last year, and I think we all recognize that. Now, there were, there were positions where they could not do that, but I think when they have this level of talent kind of across the board, that you're going to see them keep doing it. I mean, again, no defensive player was beyond 30 snaps here. You had all three of those cornerbacks who you started. And in this day, Kobe King actually did not get the start for the first time this season. Uh, He hasn't really been getting starters volume of reps really at any point this year. But in this case, he actually did not start. It went to Daquan Hardy. Those three cornerbacks rarely left the field when Penn State was still in, you know, go mode before this game really got out of hand. Um, But you had four freshmen, all four of those green light freshmen on defense went 20 plus snaps. I mean, we've seen some guys here and there go a dozen, go 15. All these guys got some considerable run here before they take on the six conference games in six weeks stretch. And just because of how injuries stack up, you don't know when an Elliott Washington or a Zion Tracy or Tony Rojas uh, or a Jameel Lyons. And, and by the way, Jameel Lyons. So tack on a fifth guy there, another defender uh, from that freshman class. So five freshman defenders went 20 plus snaps in this matchup against UMass to be able to do that here in mid October. And by the way, that's Lyons third game. And considering the rumblings we keep hearing about him, just wonder if they'll be able to keep him off the field. I know they want to be very strategic in the way they use these freshmen and they'll continue to do that. But Lyons now up to that three game mark. Um, just to finish off the, the, the UMass discussion here, uh, it just feels like through the six-game sample size, Penn State continues to create chaos on defense. That's been a calling card for them, whether it's the turnovers or the tackles for loss. They had 14 tackles behind the line of scrimmage on Saturday. 
and they're meanwhile been in control on offense. You can say they haven't been explosive. You can say they haven't produced the fireworks, but they have been in control. Seven consecutive touchdown drives on Saturday on a weekly basis, game by game. They're you know taking the ball eight to twelve plays on these touchdown drives, and Daniel. That has been the recipe thus far. I don't think that we necessarily thought this would be what 6-0 might look like for Penn State. But buckle up because Columbus is calling and then five more conference games after that. How much of this six-game sample size do you think is genuinely what this 2023 Nittany Lions squad is versus how much they may evolve in the final stretch? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely room for evolution, uh, especially from the perspective of they're going to be in closer games. They're going to end up in a couple heavyweight fights, I feel like, um, especially with Ohio State and Michigan left on the schedule where you know, you're going to need some some splash plays, whether that's you know from the offense, which we haven't really seen yet, um, and then defense or special teams, which we've seen a couple a couple times uh, so far this year. So, you know, I, I think that there is some there is like, you know, a lot of room for growth as you go forward. But I just think it comes back to you know, how they are playing really good complementary football. Um, you know, I think that you laid it out pretty well in terms of the you know amount of chaos they're causing on the defensive side of the ball, and then just how efficient and in control they're playing offensively. Um, I think that that is just a very, very good recipe um, because you know neither side um, you know ever feels like it, it's out of control a little bit. You know, you've seen the defense pick up the offense at Illinois and Northwestern. Um, you know, there hasn't really been a situation where the offense needs to pick up the defense yet. Um, but I think that, you know, those two, the way that both of those units are playing, um, you know, I think it puts them into a, a good spot going into Columbus this weekend. I mean, I think that, um, you know, when you're playing a, a, an opponent of Ohio State's caliber, you know, in some respects, you are going to need to see more um, from both both of those units just because that's, you know, those are the stakes. You know, that's the talent level. You know, this is the type of game it's going to be. But, you know, I think that from where they are right now through six games, I think that, you know, you feel pretty good about it. But, you know, there is going to be some evolution and there is going to be some growth because, you know, someone can break someone can break out, someone can fade away, someone can emerge as a as a big time playmaker, like we just saw Daquan Hardy do on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, you know where we are six weeks from now uh, and, and how things look. Mark, I'll kind of pose it to you in maybe a different way. Expectations versus reality, you know, September 1st versus October 16th with this team. Um, if you had envisioned they'd be 6-0, what maybe did you think that would have looked like and versus where we are here? I would have thought they would have had to scrap and fight in at least one of those games, you know, even knowing what these opponents are all about. And it's it's interesting because I was talking, and I think we, we mentioned this, but, you know, someone asked me last week, do you think, Ohio State has an advantage in this game because they've been in closer games. And I, I said, I don't know. I mean, every year before this, I mean, the last six years, Penn State typically has been in a close game or two before going out to or before playing Ohio State, and it didn't seem to make a difference when the fourth quarter rolled around. So maybe there's something to be said that you've been able to win by these margins, not necessarily put everything on tape that you had to put on tape, and going back to what I think is one of the biggest storylines of the first half of the season, being able to keep people healthy and fresh. You know, going into this final six games, again, you know that they are not going to be blowing everybody out by 30, 40, whatever points, that there are going to be instances where they need their best players in the fourth quarter 
and that's how we're going to judge this team. I don't think we can fully judge this team just yet. You know, when we talk about the running backs, and I, I thought Jay Wan Sider made just a great point last week. It's, yeah, I mean, we could we could sit here and say there's not been explosive plays from Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, but as as Jay Wan said, we haven't seen him in the fourth quarter. And where did we see the explosive plays from the running game against UMass? It came in the fourth quarter when UMass was kind of ground down. So I just think that's the big storyline. Let's see what this team is capable of doing. They've been able to, you know, it's it's kind of like bank all of these extra snaps that you think they can use at some point. Let's see if that really comes into play. And I think that's been the key storyline of the first half of the season going into this monster game in Columbus. And and you explained that just enough where it gave me time to go look up what Nick Singleton and Katron Allen have done in the fourth quarter this year because I thought that was a fantastic point from Jay Wan last week when he was discussing the ground game thus far. I'll say it again. They are the number one team in the Big Ten right now in rushing yards per game. It hasn't maybe looked the way we thought right. it would, but they're there at the top of that list. Nick Singleton so far, midseason 2023, 12 carries for 48 yards, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Katron Allen in the fourth quarter here in 2023. Two carries, seven yards, no touchdowns. I mean, these are two of your top 10 players on the roster, uh, and they've combined for 14 carries in the fourth quarter through six games. And I, I think I, I read the Drew Aller stat line uh, on our postgame podcast, but I'll do that once more. In the fourth quarter this season, uh, Drew Aller, eight of 13 for 90 yards and two touchdowns. And, and I figured I might as well look up what his leading receiver has done in the fourth quarter. Keandre Lambert-Smith has been so important for this team. Far and away the leading receiver, three catches, 29 yards, one touchdown in the fourth quarter. We're six games in. I mean, this, that's how little they've had to, to mess with their meal in the fourth quarter uh, throughout the course of this matchup. We've got a huge week ahead at lines247.com, uh, and, and, and we've got a lot to learn about this team. So with that in mind, I figured, what are the midseason, what's the midseason question that stands out? We, we talked about this a bit at the bye week. We obviously discussed it in August. And Daniel, we're going to begin with you here, and, and we're going to finish this segment with that before we talk to Patrick Murphy and get a, a better perspective on Ohio State. But in terms of, of where the question mark is between this team actually getting Indy in December, punching their ticket to the college football playoff, what looms largest for you right now, Daniel Gallon? I think when we did our, our midseason roundtable, uh, I put special teams down. Uh, I think that was partly because I had, I had the third pick uh, on that one. But, you know, I do think that special teams is you know, a little bit less of a concern right now. Um, I think that you're getting some juice in the return game from both Daquan Hardy and Caden Saunders. Can't forget about that 37-yarder that he had <coughs> uh, in the third quarter against UMass. But um, I think that it kind of goes back to the to the wide receivers um, and the passing game. <coughs> Yikes. Um, yeah, I think I'll go back to the wide receivers and the passing game. Um, you know, I do think we need to see a little bit more um, out of that. Um, you know, I, I, I do feel a little bit better um, after watching what they did against UMass. Um, you know, I'm a big Theo Johnson guy, um, and I think that, you know, I was really waiting to see that type of performance out of him. And so, you know, kind of like I laid out earlier, I think that that kind of lessens the pressure um, on the wide receivers a little bit moving forward. But, you know, you're going to need to see Keandre Lambert-Smith be, a, you know, a true wide receiver one um, in some of these games. I mean, you're going to need to watch. You're, you're going to need to see Trey Wallace, you know, make some of these plays, make some things happen. Um, you know, to talk about 
Mark's Eagles a little bit. I mean, you think about what watching AJ Brown over these past, you know, four weeks and, you know, what he is able to do and just, you know, anytime the ball goes to him, you know, he's going to make a play, you know, he's going to make something happen. Um, and, you know, while I think Keandre Lambert Smith has done a lot uh, to kind of, you know, assert himself atop the Penn State's hierarchy, um, you know, you still wonder, you know, when when the game's on the line, Drew Aller is looking, you know, looking downfield, you know, can he make that play? Will he make that play? Um, so I think that's kind of still what I'm what I'm waiting to see, you know, through through that passing game. Mark, I'll, I'll, same same deal for you. What's uh, what's at the top of the totem pole in terms of question mark for this Penn State squad at six and zero? Yeah, I think one explosive plays. You know, are th- are there things that we haven't seen that they've been able to keep in their back pocket? And then, I think from just a broader perspective, how is this team going to operate in a clutch? I mean, you know, it is a fair question. You know, I, I obviously Ohio State's been in in closer games and. Uh, what's going to happen when this team's in the fourth quarter of a game where it needs a long drive or where it needs to force a three and out? It's not had to do that yet. What is is this? It, do they have the kind of leadership and moxie and all those little you know, cliche things that they're able to pull it off when it matters the most? Because I have suspect it's going to matter this week, but if it doesn't, there will be spots as the season goes along where it's going to matter. And um, I'm anxious to see what this team is really all about. Yeah, we see all these numbers and they're leading the Big Ten and this and that and the other thing. And uh, But how do, do they operate? That's what the best Penn State, State teams have been all about. That's what the best Penn State players have been all about. You know, Trace McSorley, he put up a bunch of big numbers in his career, but what do people remember about Trace McSorley? When the game was on the line, that guy got it done. So let's see if this team has those types of players. Yeah, we have, uh, we're looking at a bunch of uh, NFL caliber players. They've recruited extremely well, but let's see what they're able to do in a clutch. That that's where I was going to go. Uh, Sorry, because what I referenced, how little we've seen of, of some of the stars on this team in the fourth quarter, and 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 you can't penalize Penn State for how they've handled their business getting to six and zero. But I think you can tip your cap or acknowledge at least that Ohio State has faced those moments. They've got a first year starting quarterback too. He's you know walked across the coals for a fourth quarter on the road. Uh, you know, because he had to. Uh, we just haven't seen Drew Aller how to do that. Maybe this is the Saturday that that happens. Uh, but that's my biggest question, and and I don't think that's an unfair one, like you said, Mark. It's 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 not holding anything against this team. It's just when the spotlight is really shining its brightest, and and are you going to live up and look like a championship contender? And you've got to be that individually and collectively. Thus far, they have dominated like the one. Uh, but we've got a few matchups here where we're going to really get a chance to pry into the team and, and their makeup. James Franklin, the staff, what you hear from the facility, all of it sounds so encouraging. And that really goes back to when they came back to, and reassembled after the Rose Bowl. And thus far, uh, you can't really poke holes in that logic. Uh, but, but I think everybody knows it's it's go for launch time and it's put up or shut up time. Um, and, and we're going to get into the other side of that equation right now, fellas, with Patrick Murphy. Appreciate your perspective. See you both on Tuesday at Beaver Stadium. We have another press conference with James Franklin. He says we're going to be allowed to discuss the Buckeyes there. He, he didn't want to do it in post game, so expect a lot of coverage uh, on James Franklin, his feedback about what this Ohio State team brings to the field on Tuesday. We're back on the practice field on Wednesday, but before then, we'll catch you with another episode of this podcast. Uh, thanks, fellas. Talk to you real soon. Sounds thanks, good. Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. All right, as mentioned, we've got Patrick Murphy, who covers Ohio State for 24-7 sports. He's been on this podcast 
several times in the past leading up to these uh, previous matchups. Patrick, thank you for the time, and uh, welcome to Ohio State-Penn State game week. It's a big one that we've both been looking toward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you texted me this morning, and we're like, it's that time of year again, and it absolutely is. This should be a fun one. Yeah, um, Penn State, six-game losing streak. There have been some very close calls, a couple one-point close shaves for the Buckeyes, but they've found a way to get wins, whether in Beaver Stadium or at the Horseshoe to this point. Um, but these are two different versions of each other every single year. So we're starting to wrap our heads around Penn State. We just spent about 45 minutes breaking them down at 6-0. and Ohio State also at 6-0. and Number three in the AP Top 25, Penn State. Number seven, of course, both looking up at Michigan, two-time defending Big Ten champion right now. So how would you gauge where Ohio State is through six games, the good, bad, the ugly? That's a good question. Um, I heard you guys just at the end there talking about how, you know, Ohio State has had one of those big, you know, primetime top 10 games against Notre Dame. But then we saw Notre Dame struggle a little bit the last two weeks until this past weekend. So there were some questions, obviously, about, okay, was that win – did, did it have the same merit as we thought, or is this Notre Dame team going to, to struggle? Um, look, I think that the the fact that Ohio State was able to go out and get a win against a program like that on the road in a hostile environment is a positive step for a team, especially offensively, that has some some new key play key players in key or new players in key places. Excuse me, um, but. This is going to be different. Obviously, this will be at home. I think Penn State presents more challenges for Ohio State. Um, I think this Buckeye team is is good for sure on the defense with the defense kind of carrying the load so far and the offense doing enough kind of coming alive when it needs to. Uh, but, you know, we're still waiting to see if this Ohio State team can be a great Ohio State team. Um, you know, and the one thing that I've keep, I keep telling people is it looks really different in Columbus this year because you're used to these elite offenses. And, you know, some years the defense has been really good under Ryan Day. Some years it hasn't been. This year it's been defense first. And, you know, so there's been some closer games. And it just isn't what Buckeye fans kind of have grown to expect with, with Buckeye teams under Coach Day. Of course, the quarterback position, it's it's been a revolving door of a production for Ohio State and you know, Heisman Trophy contenders and all that. We know what CJ Stroud accomplished. Now he's an NFL rookie as a top draft pick. And you know, it was a, a, a spotlight topic for you guys on your beat all offseason long about what that position would look like here in 2023. And Kyle McCord, who who did a lot of good things in Philadelphia in high school, so people are pretty familiar with him, I think, within the Penn State community, has stepped up as the starter. To this point, 64% pass completion, 1,650 yards through the air, 11 touchdowns, one interception. That's the stat line. Can you give us the actual anecdotal evidence of, of, of what it has looked like uh, and, and where you think he is in his progression right now? Still growing, for sure. Um, you know, I think I asked Coach Day this a couple weeks ago about how he kind of compares where Kyle is, where with CJ at this point in his career and, and Justin Fields before that. He didn't want to go into too much, but, you know, I kind of looked back. I don't think Kyle has quite reached where those guys were, and, and maybe he will. I think the biggest thing with McCord is that he's he's just cool, calm, collected. Uh, there's not a lot of things that rattle him. I mean, if you go back and watch the end of that Notre Dame game, his numbers aren't great on that final drive. I think he completed like five of 11 passes or something. But, you know, they're, they're down to third down fourth down once, third down a couple times. He's not rattled. He goes out and makes some big-time throws. I honestly think 
when he doesn't have to to worry about thinking so much, when he just kind of settles in and, and just starts playing, that's when he's at his best. He started slowly two weeks ago against Maryland, and I think it kind of got in his head a little bit, completed a few passes before halftime, came out in the second half and was just in rhythm, only threw incompletion, three incompletions the rest of the way. So he's still trying to find that consistency um, to, to not kind of overthink things. You know, maybe Ohio State simplifies things a little bit for him at times, um, but he's certainly making progress. I mean, if you look at what he was doing week one to where he is now, he's he's definitely improved. Obviously, with the weapons around him, uh, you should be able to put up the numbers like you listed. So there's definitely been progress for McCord. I I don't know if he's going to be on that that track of you know Heisman Trophy finalists at any point in his career. He he has that potential down the road, but we just haven't seen that consistently enough yet. But like I said, the poise. The calm collectiveness is what's really stood out about him. I'm glad you pointed out the supporting cast because that's been a common theme for every Buckeyes quarterback uh, going back a while now is they do have an arsenal of weapons around them. And uh, we know the wide receiver spot has been at an elite level for a while. The conversation starts with Marvin Harrison Jr., who, of course, played high school ball with McCord at St. Joe's Prep in Philly. Um, what does he look like here? Uh, there's been so much attention on him leading into the season. How has he kind of converted that into – on-field action, and then what else are we looking at around uh, around Harrison in this offensive attack that, that the Nindy Lions are certainly doing their diligence on during game prep? Yeah, I mean, Marvin's been Marvin Harrison. Um, teams have doubled him, sometimes two guys in a safety over the top. Um, you know, he has had a couple games where the stats don't look at, as good um, just because of, of that coverage or other guys getting open. I mean, Ohio State's been willing, McCord specifically has been willing to – to go where the ball needs to go. But a lot of times when, when they need a play, they've gone to, to Marvin. Uh, now he is playing with an injured ankle. He hurt himself, as, as I'm sure people are aware, against Notre Dame. Didn't miss a play, um, but he said that sprained ankle is he, – he actually played on a sprained ankle last year, still put up the numbers he did. He said this year's a little bit worse, but he's managing through it. I haven't noticed much of a difference. You know, Watching him run at the end of that Notre Dame game, he looked – pretty similar to how he looks normally. He's not walking around with a major limp, um, but he's putting up the numbers. I think most people would have expected him to, he did have a few drops or balls that hit his hands. I'm not sure if they classified them as drops against Purdue last week, which was a little uncharacteristic, but for the most part, he's been as advertised the supporting cast. Emeka um, Buka, he missed last week's game with an injury that he suffered against Maryland. He is, it's still uncertain. I assume that they were eyeballing keeping him out last week with this game in mind, but Ryan Day didn't want to go into injuries after the Purdue game. So we'll see on if Emeka Buka is back. We don't even know specifically what the injury is. He kind of got rolled up on on the sideline when, when getting tackled. Um, he's obviously been the number two guy just like he was a year ago. Julian Fleming, another Pennsylvania guy, has has played well. He's not putting up big numbers at this point, but that's kind of been – what he's done throughout the out his career, just kind of been a reliable receiver. He's made plays when they've needed him to. Um, they've had to go to a guy like Xavier Johnson, um, who a former walk-on who, who's been able to kind of grow into a bigger role throughout his career um, with Emeka Buka out a little bit more. Carnell Tate, the, the freshman, uh, played more this week as well, caught three passes and um, you know had a big play against Purdue. So, we, we could do a whole podcast on the number of guys that could step in and play with Ohio State's receiver room. Um, what it has been, though, and, and something that's frustrated Buckeye fans a little bit is 
Brian Hartline stuck with pretty much three receivers. They did go a little bit deeper against Purdue, I think, because they got up pretty quickly. But it's pretty much been three guys on the field. It's just a matter of you know who's healthy and which guys it is for that game. But that's kind of the the players you need to know in terms of the receivers. Uh, yeah, Harrison, uh, 31 catches, 604 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, Igbuka, 22 catches, 303 yards, three touchdowns. Julian Fleming, the third guy there, 16 catches, 162 yards, no scores thus far. The tight end, Cade Stover, has 23 yeah. receptions, 359 yards, and three touchdowns. And that offensive backfield, I know there's also been some availability questions there. Can you talk us through what the situation is at running back right now? Yeah, for a second straight year, this running back room has – quickly become a mess when it comes to injuries. Um, so Travion Henderson's the starter when healthy, and he hasn't played the last two weeks despite coming out and warming up. And two weeks ago, he was listed as out. He came out for warmups. We were all very confused. Um, and then last week he was questionable, came out and did warmups again. And then when they came out for the final warmup, he wasn't in pads. So I, I think they are probably, again, keeping an eye on this game and knowing they need Travion Henderson He's been their big play guy, and, and the running game hasn't been great. I would say it hasn't even been good, mostly because the offensive line has been pretty poor run blocking. They were better against a Purdue team that doesn't defend the run very well this past week. Uh, but without Travion Henderson in there, I mean, they had their worst rushing performance in a win against Maryland two weeks ago. I think they had 63 yards on the ground um, in 20 years. So Travion Henderson is kind of bandaged covered up some of the the issues in the run game. So they certainly need him to be healthy. Chip Tranum has been his, has been the number two. He got hurt, kind of big hit, stood up a little wobbly, tried to walk off and then fell down, probably a concussion. We all assume though Ohio State didn't want to confirm that uh, against Purdue. He left that game, did not come back. Status unknown for him, but he's kind of been the in-between the tackles guy. He scored the late touchdown against Notre Dame on, on the one-yard run that, that won the game. Um, he stepped into that role, kind of pushing out Mayan Williams, who was sort of that number two guy last year, uh, who has seen a significant decrease in, in his number of carries. Two weeks ago against Maryland, Ryan Day was talking about how he had a great week of practice. And we all, especially when Trayvon Henderson was out, all expected him to take a, a big jump in terms of his production. And he had six carries in the game, five of which were late in the fourth quarter. So he was out last week with an injury. So they ended up using... Uh, sophomore Dallin Hayden, who came on at the end of last year when there were a bunch of injuries, and he had 11 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown. I think he may be their best like overall back, but they seem hesitant to just go to Dallin Hayden for whatever reason. I don't know if he has fumbling issues in practice or if if he you know doesn't pass protect the way they want enough. Um, but he certainly runs the ball well. And Ryan Day said two weeks ago they were thinking about redshirting him, which is why he hadn't seen much playing time, just given the other guys in the room. Now with these injuries, I wonder if you scrap that plan and maybe just accept that you're going to play him. Um, and and you know, he still has two more games he can play before he can redshirt. But I think he's going to have to play a bigger role, especially if some of these injuries end up being a little bit longer term. As I was checking in uh, with, with the happenings in Columbus this offseason, which we all do at different Big Ten campuses, um, beyond the quarterback position, it felt like the offensive line was, was you know, first and for at least you know, second uh, on that list in terms of, okay, is, is Ohio State going to be able to get something together by kickoff? Is What's it going to look like? What have you made of the offensive line plan so far? And, and certainly against Penn State team, a team that has racked up the sacks, how do you feel about their ability to protect McCord off the perimeter? 
They've been good in pass protection. Um, you know, McCord, I think, has been sacked, I don't know, five, six times. It hasn't, hasn't been a ton. Um, and a couple of those, at least, have been him holding on to the ball a bit too long. I wouldn't say they are a, a great pass protection team, but they are certainly good, and, and that hasn't been an issue. What has been an issue, as I mentioned, is the run game. And, and Joel Klatt last or two weeks ago against Maryland really highlighted it in the game. It really came to the forefront because of the rushing numbers. They weren't getting the second level. Uh, they're not opening a lot of space. It's it's confusing to me because while they do have three you know first-year starters, and one of them being the center, two guards – who have a lot of experience, including Donovan Jackson, who a lot of people preseason were projecting to be, you know, uh, one of the first guards off the board in the NFL draft next year, a former five-star kid. I thought they'd be able to run inside pretty well. That has not been the case. Now, Ohio State does like to do a lot of like stretch plays to the to the boundary and things that drive fans crazy. Um, those plays have not worked. And, and I don't know if it's a matter of this offensive line just isn't athletic enough to kind of get to where it needs to be, or they're not reading who to block. I mean, there's been some plays where, you know, two offensive linemen are blocking the same guy unnecessarily as they kind of, you know, they pull one guy who ends up blocking a, a guy who's already blocked. And then there's a free runner in, as I said, Joe Clatt was showing how Maryland linebackers were, were having space to run and, and, you know, stand up the Ohio state running backs at the uh, line of scrimmage. Again, it was better against Purdue this past week whether that was a matter of Ohio State's sort of found something. Um, they did simplify the running game a little bit when Dallin Hayden came in. To me, it's probably more a factor of, of Purdue's you know, struggles to stop the run. Um, you know, they're, they're just, I think it was just easier for Ohio State to get done what they wanted to do. So this will certainly be a test, I think, for this offensive line in both capacities, run blocking, pass blocking. But run blocking is where I think Ohio State fans will be a bit more concerned. Ohio State ranks number nine right now among Big Ten teams in, in rushing offense. Certainly unaccustomed to seeing them that far down the list. As mentioned, Penn State number one in rush defense uh, in the conference thus far. Uh, Patrick, you've mentioned injuries in a few different spots. Uh, that seems to be a bit of a theme. Something we've discussed here with Penn State is how light the workload has been on so many of their primary players because of the lopsided scores. Now, Ohio State has had their share of lopsided scores, but they've had games that have gone considerably more competitive deeper into the second half. Maryland, certainly Notre Dame. Um, and I'd imagine there has been more attrition at midseason for Ohio State than maybe what we've seen here. Where are they? If you're serving up the injury report to us here very early in the week, you've mentioned a few spots. Uh, defensively, are we monitoring some stuff anywhere else on offense? Yeah, most of the ones I've already touched on. The the big one on the defensive side of the ball is Denzel Burke, uh, their number one cornerback. He left against Maryland, kind of was chasing down a, a play that got loose. I, it was tough to really tell what he injured because he got right up and then looked like he sort of grabbed his leg. So it, it, maybe it was a hamstring. He also could have gotten his ankle tweaked kind of on the tackle, uh, but went to the sideline and they started to tape his ankle up and then they pulled up the medical tent. So he couldn't really tell what they were looking at. Um, and then he went to the locker room and at that point, Ohio state was up pretty big. So whether or not, you know, he could have come back in the game and they just decided, you know, let's not worry about it or if it's something a bit more, but that's certainly concerning if they don't have, um, you know, their, their top cornerback against Penn state. I mentioned the other ones, uh, the running backs, I think Travion Henderson will be back less certain about Mayan Williams and, and Chip Tranum. Um, a Buka, that's a tough one. He didn't even travel this past week. So whether it's a bit more serious than they initially expected, or if that was just precautionary to have him ready for this week, 
you know, obviously I think they, they understand that they have a deep wide receiver room, but when you're playing in a game like this, I think you want as many of your uh, top guys out there as possible. Right. So I hope we get more information as the week goes on, but Ohio state is very uh, tight lipped about injuries. And I thought Ryan day was starting to be a bit more loose about it. He talked more about him this year. And then after the game, he immediately got asked about the injuries and he's like, I don't have anything for you. And I was like, well, now, now we don't know anything again. Yeah, we're, we're in a similar category here. Right. You can respect it midseason from the coach. A little frustrating as a beat reporter, but you'd understand why that, that is the approach on their end. Um, Patrick, I, I want to talk about the defensive evolution for, for Ohio State because you talked about that being the, the unit they've been able to lean on a bit more thus far at midseason. And when you give up 40-plus points and back-to-back losses to Michigan, it's going to be a hot-button topic is defensive improvement. What does it look like this far so far? Uh, and what – are the strengths that you think are going to be able to show up against Penn State and what are the more I guess the the, the ones that you have concerns like is this aspect of, of of the defensive success for six games going to show up against Penn State so after the the Michigan game you mentioned last year um, and then that Georgia game in the college football playoff the big talking point was Ohio State's giving up too many big plays and Jim Knowles the defensive coordinator who came uh here before last season uh he was a aggressive, you know, in Oklahoma State at Duke that, you know, they brought various blitzes and, um, you know, it had worked. And I think that he tried to bring that heat to Columbus and realized you don't have to do that when you're recruiting four and five star guys as opposed to three and four star guys. Um, you can play a, a bit of a different defense. And, and the fact that they were burned so bad into big games certainly made him reevaluate things this year. So as much as he doesn't like, it called this, they've kind of taken a bend, but don't break approach. Um, so, you know, they, they are, especially against, you know, Notre Dame, it was that way a, a little bit against Maryland. They're letting teams drive the field a little bit more by kind of playing, keeping everything in front of them. Uh, I keep calling it, they're putting a shell on the defense to not allow a, a big play. I think the biggest play they've given up this year is a 38 yard play. So they've done a good job of limiting everything explosive and, and, Jim Knowles has had to change that. That was, he's admitted he's not being as aggressive and it had to be a concerted thing in his head to, you know, not just blitz on, on various plays. Now they did do some more of that against Purdue this past weekend. And they do have some stuff in there that, um, you know, will still be aggressive at times. It's just being more selective with it. In terms of the strengths, the secondary has been uh, very good. Uh, If Denzel Burke is healthy, he has, established himself probably as one of the better cornerbacks in the country. He was really good, a freshman All-American two years ago, didn't have a great season last season while dealing with some injuries and kind of has regained that form. Um, Davis Enigbenosin, who transferred from Ole Miss, is their number two corner. He's been pretty solid. He's a very physical corner, so they've played him off a little bit more, I think, to avoid kind of him being handsy and getting some penalties. Um the safety play has been, I think, better than most people expected. Josh Proctor is a sixth-year guy who's kind of been in and out of different roles throughout his career. He's kind of found his spot, um, had a pick six that kind of jump-started things against Maryland a couple weeks ago. Lathan Ransom, who was a starter last year, he was coming off of a broken leg in the Rose Bowl the, the season prior. And I think throughout the year got better and better. And you're starting to see, you know, kind of what the best of him looks like this year. And then Sonny Styles is kind of their nickel corner, 
nickel safety. Um, he rotates with Jordan Hancock, depending on what kind of offense they're facing. Sonny Styles is a guy from Columbus who's a five-star kid, real versatile, 6'3", big kid, but can also run. Um, so they use him in, in a few different ways in kind of that, that cover nickel safety position. Um, so that's been the strength. They haven't allowed much through the air, even against some talented quarterbacks. The other side of the coin, I would say, is the defensive line has been good, but the pass rush hasn't gotten home much. Um, and that's been a big topic of conversation in Columbus because you've got two former five-star defensive ends in JT2 and Malau, who obviously Penn State fans <laughs> will, will unfortunately remember from last year, and Jack Sawyer, who everyone expected to kind of take on this role of, of the Bosa brothers or Chase Young. And they haven't really done that because it pass rushing isn't really what either of them do really well. And so they've gotten some pressure. And, and if you look at kind of the, the underlying numbers, their pressure rate is pretty good, but the sacks just haven't been there. Now, each of those guys got a sack and a half last week against Purdue. Again, Purdue's offensive line, not great, was banged up, got even more injured in the game. So probably more a catalyst of, of that than like, they found something in, in the pass rushing, but that's certainly an area where, you know, they needed to pressure Sam Hartman. They did a little bit, not a ton. Same when playing Tylea Tagovailoa a couple weeks ago, they got him out of the pocket some, but he was still able to make a few plays. Now in this game, that'll definitely be a topic of conversation given Drew Aller and, and this Penn State offense is coming to town. Uh, in terms of sacks for uh, Ohio State, you'll find them at number 13 overall in the conference. Yeah. That, that was startling to me. Uh, Penn State number one in sacks against in the Big Ten right now. So we'll see how that comes out uh, in the wash on Saturday. Special teams, uh, we, we just spent a lot of time. We didn't think we would, would be spending as much time midseason on special teams. But you know, Daquan Hardy popped up as a first-time punt returner, took two to the house against UMass. So we got something interesting brewing on our hands. Anything we need to know about Ohio State special teams, because when the margins for error are, are slim in a top 10 showdown, you never know when that phase could be the factor. Yeah, absolutely. I think think back a few years ago when Saquon Barkley returned the opening kickoff for the touchdown at Ohio Stadium. Um, these special teams, like in terms of kicking and punting, that's been fine, though. They did miss an extra point on Saturday, the first miss uh, of the year for Jaden Fielding, the first year kicker. Um, the issues Ohio State has had and there have been issues, have been returning the ball. Um, they had against Maryland what, what we all thought from the press box was a fake punt after the first offensive series. Turned out it was just a really bad snap. Um, they don't return the ball well on either kicks nor punts. Um, there was a striking comparison in the Maryland game where Ohio State fair caught a punt with no one around. And then on the next, you know, next time Ohio State punts the ball, Maryland guys, three guys around him, catches the ball and just takes off and picks up like 20 yards. And it's just like Ohio State has all these athletes, all these guys you think would be really good returning kicks and punts, and, and they hardly use them or or they don't use them effectively. And special teams coordinator Parker Fleming has become kind of a I don't want to say public enemy number one, but Buckeye fans are certainly asking what is going on with you have a coach dedicated to special teams and you're not getting a ton of production from it. It's been years. I think 2014 was the last time they had a kick or punt return for a touchdown. And you, know, you just think about all the players that have come through Ohio state that on paper, at least could be dangerous in that capacity. And there have been some good returns um, in, in these recent years, but just nothing that had fully taken it to the house. So yeah, I think that's certainly an issue. They've been good on coverage for the most part. Um, had a couple 
you know, get out, like I said, 20, 30 yards, but they haven't let anything go. But they also haven't faced anyone that I think is as explosive as what they will face on Saturday. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's been an interesting topic that, like you said, I didn't expect it kind of on the other end of the coin, uh, expect to be talking about all of these issues in the uh, special teams, but it hasn't been clean, I guess is how I would sum it all up. It's before noon on Monday of a game week. You and I are, are just embarking on our coverage of what this week's going to look like in Columbus and, and here in State College, respectively. We're going to hear from our uh, head coaches. We're going to hear from players. Uh, we're going to circle up with our fellow colleagues and eventually put our predictions on our respective sites. But I want to pick your brain here. What do you think, uh, to finish off this conversation, is the ultimate X factor for Ohio State in this home game. It's a four-and-a-half-point line based on what I saw uh, the initial uh, post from uh, Caesar Sportsbook on, on Sunday. So clearly this is one that is expected to go down to the wire. We have seen nothing even close to that for Penn State this season. We all expect to learn a lot about the Nittany Lions. What do you think you'll learn about Ohio State from an X-Factor perspective? Yeah, I, I think it's similar in my mind to the – what I thought going into the Notre Dame game, like can this offensive line do what it needs to do? Um, you know, how do, you know, a young guy like Kyle McCord handle these situations. Now they went through that game, they got the win. Okay. Now you got to do it again a few weeks later against what is a better football team, frankly. Um, how does the offense handle that? And then is the defense as good as we think that that's the big question for me. I think we're kind of asking that every week just because Ohio State's defense has struggled these last few years. Like, is this really what we think? Because at the midpoint last year, I would have told you Ohio State's defense was improved, and then the last few games of the season happened. Um, so I think this will be probably the the best litmus test for that group of, okay, can you – You know, I don't expect them to necessarily hold Penn State's offense in check, but can you make the plays that are necessary, You know, maybe force a turnover or crucial fourth down stop, things like that, and – and you know, obviously the big plays continue to be a concern for Ohio State, even though they haven't given them up. It's clearly in the back of everyone's minds when as they get into some of these bigger games, we've got to limit those. And then, you know, on the Penn State side, you guys I heard talking about it earlier, you know, those explosive plays. Can Penn State hit on any of those against that Buckeye defense? I think those will be interesting things. Um, you know, I think always in these games, there's tends to be a player, right, that that maybe we didn't see coming or or maybe even a guy that did but does it a different way. Like, I knew JT Tuamalau could have a big game last year. I didn't expect that. You know, Saquon Markley, obviously, we mentioned that kick return. He was always dangerous, but that kind of started that game off. Obviously, it didn't end the way Penn State fans want. So, like, who could be that guy maybe? Um, you know, but if we could predict that, then, you know, we could predict the whole game, right? Yeah, uh, we'll find out about that. We'll get your prediction a little bit later. I'm not going to put you on the spot here on a Monday. It's, we have some written uh, content that we're swapping. Yeah. You'll see uh, a lot of more Ohio State analysis from Patrick up at lines247.com later in the week. I'm sending some answers his way. I'll be on his podcast later in the week. It's always good to be able to lean on our network partners like this. And uh, I, uh, one thing I, I just wanted to finish off here, I know I said that was the last question, but it just came to my mind. Um, we're all watching what Quinn Ewers is doing in Texas, and it, it's obviously uh, you know, he's got his career going in the way that a lot of people thought he would eventually do. But you remember he started off in Columbus, and before he reclassified, he was a big reason why Drew Aller wasn't a priority for Ohio State. I mean, I know you don't cover recruiting. Your focus is on the team there in Columbus, but whether it's the fans on your message board or maybe some people you talk to internally within uh, Ohio State's facilities – is there kind of a sense of, of what it means to see Drew Aller 
Mr. Ohio football of 2021 coming back to town in a Penn State uniform as this, you know, revered first time starter under James Franklin? I think if you were to talk to the Ohio State coaching staff, they would say that, you know, that, that they would have loved to have a guy have Drew Aller as a part of this program. Obviously, with the way things played out, it didn't work out that way. Um, I think that the the talk would heat up more if Kyle McCord had struggled throughout the start of the season, right? Like, oh gosh, there's this guy coming back, the hometown kid. Um, but this isn't the first time Penn State's come to Columbus with an Ohio-born starting quarterback, right? So now some of those guys weren't ranked as high as Drew Aller. In fact, most of them, if not all of them, were not. So, you know, I, I certainly think they recognize the talent, but I think you mentioned the the fans and the message board. I think the complaining would be significantly higher if Kyle McCord had had struggled out of the gates, whatnot. Now, there certainly are fans um, who still don't buy Kyle McCord just because he hasn't been C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields, and obviously the standard at Ohio State's very high. Uh, but I don't get the sense that it's like, oh, we missed on this guy. Not because Drew Aller isn't very good. He, I think he is, and I think everyone would admit that. But I think they also know, okay, we've got Kyle McCord in there. There's still confidence in Devin Brown, who is Kyle's backup. Um, a guy that probably should have mentioned this earlier, did some red zone uh, quarterback stuff against Purdue. Something to keep an eye out on if they use that against Penn State. It's an area Ohio State hasn't been strong in this year. Uh, but they feel like he will be able to step in and, and the pipeline is is pretty filled with recruiting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they recognize the talent that kind of got out of the state, but also know, you know they went into Pennsylvania and got a really good one. Right. So it's it's kind of a, a give and take. And if, if things are working out, you don't you don't uh, get as upset about that. But. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask me if they wanted Quinn Ewers back in Columbus. <laughs> no, I was going to go down that road. But I think, to be honest, that question I just asked you is probably better proposed this upcoming Sunday after this game yeah, is played right. and your message board gets a chance to digest whatever they saw, whatever it may be. We know that it's going to be a wild week on your site, on our site, over at Bucknuts at lines247.com. Ohio State, Penn State, excited for it. Patrick, good luck with your coverage, and we'll be touching base throughout. You too. Thanks. Great stuff from Patrick uh, and and before him, Mark and Daniel. And as you can tell, as we go to an hour and 15 minutes plus here on our first podcast of the week, we're hyped up for a fantastic matchup ahead on Saturday afternoon. Along the way, we'll have practice coverage, press conference coverage, a bunch of player conversations to share at Lines 24-7 for our VIP subscribers. And there is a key commitment announcement set for Monday evening. In case you missed it, Jalen Harvey, longtime target for Penn State, edge rusher out of Maryland, going to be announcing his college pick. So whichever way that lands, we'll get Tyler Cavaruso on the next episode of the podcast to discuss the impact, the ramifications for Penn State's 2024 class moving forward. There's also a new set of 24-7s sports rankings that saw a lot of movement from Penn State's 2024 recruiting class. Ethan Grunkemeyer into the top 100 at the quarterback spot. Luke Reynolds, now the number one overall tight end prospect in America and a five-star. We'll break those down and a lot more in a recruiting segment on Tuesday. We'll also give you our takeaways coming out of James Franklin's Ohio State Week press conference. Plenty to come here on the podcast and at lines247.com. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks to everyone for listening and watching.